Your state. Your team. Your show. This is Sports Nightly. Wide receivers each way. Leopard gets the snap. Zone read back to throw being rushed. Gets hit. Bubbles a football. Pick it up. Picked up yes. Nebraska. Racing toward the goal line. And scoring is Deontay Williams. Deontay Williams knocked the ball free. Scoop and score. It's all Nebraska right now in Lincoln. 23-3 Big Red. Sports Nightly is presented by the NDOT Highway Safety Office, who reminds you to buckle up and put the phone down. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. Thank you. Welcome. Sports Nightly here on a Monday night following a disappointing Saturday for Big Red Football as they drop a game to the shorthanded Gophers of Minnesota 24-17. Puzzling effort again. Not effort, because effort was there. That's that's a disappointing performance. I think maybe the better term to use than effort for this team. And it just kind of continues to go that way. You feel like you get to take a step forward and you go two steps backwards. And we'll break it down here tonight for you over the next three hours. And if you want to be a part of this one, 531 546-86 with a call or a text. You can send us that text on our U.S. Cellular text line. Proud to be the official wireless sponsor of the Huskers, U.S. Cellular Connecting Husker Nation. It was an eerily similar start to the Illinois game with the janky pass in the flat, which to and Matt said this on the broadcast, Ben, that's a basic play for this offense. That's like... That's like jetting back to the 70s, and that's the toss to the eyeback. That's what this is. That's a very routine, basic play that has now been botched in two games this year, one by Luke McCaffrey when it was deemed a fumble, and then this one, which fortunately Nebraska went back and jumped on the football and didn't turn it over there, and it didn't lead to points because Nebraska was able to stop Minnesota on their first drive. But it seemed to set the tone for the game a little bit. Then I thought a huge play was the targeting play call on Cam Taylor-Britt that netted Minnesota four points instead of a field goal attempt coming up, and who knows, maybe they don't make the field goal, but instead of giving up three, give up seven, and you lose the lead before halftime, and then you have an ice drive your first time getting the ball in the third quarter, and you miss a field goal, and then it then it then then you start feeling pressure. Then you start kind of probably trying to do too much, you missed some passes. Adrian's accuracy went downhill in the second half. And you lose. You lose to a team that you, you should have beat on Saturday. And, you know, I, hey, I, I have respect for Minnesota's program. They won 11 games a year ago. They got good players in their program, but they were shorthanded on Saturday. And you were playing at home. You should, should have won the game. It's just, it's just frustrating as a fan. It's frustrating, I know, for the team, the coaches. Everybody is frustrated that they can't seem to string a couple of good weeks together. Yeah, we said all all late last week, and Brendan and I talked about it a lot on the pregame show, that what Nebraska had in front of them was a big opportunity. You know, they had a little bit of momentum coming off the Purdue game. You had a great week of practice from everything that we heard, even before and after the game. We had a great week of practice and preparation. Minnesota was obviously not full strength with their COVID issues. They hadn't played in 22 days. All of the... the um, edges seemed like went to Nebraska in that regard. It was senior day. Uh, so, I, I mean, it, all the arrows were pointing to Nebraska to win this game, and that's why they were a two-possession favorite. 
And we're, we were talking about how big of an opportunity that that was. You know, let's hypothetically say Nebraska wins Saturday and we still play Rutgers. You have a chance to go 500 on the year and go play in a bowl game and finish the year with some serious momentum. It's a big opportunity that, that Nebraska had. And it's unfortunately another blown opportunity because all of that's out the window now. You don't perform well on Saturday. Um, you're playing Rutgers on Friday, and your season's going to end. And and that that's that's where the frustration lies, Greg. Is I we keep hearing about how close the team is to turning that corner, and you know I think you're you're probably naive to believe that maybe that were to happen, um, you know, this year after the first half of the year. But you had a chance to really finish with some momentum, a lot like they did in year number one under Coach Frost. You know, losing that tight one to Iowa, we we kind of felt robbed. We kind of felt like, you know, maybe this was, uh, you know, the season was ending ending too too quickly, you know, and and you could there was a little bit of momentum you felt, and you had a real opportunity to do that this season after everything that you'd been through. Instead, you know, the opposite happens, and you know we're still here on a Monday of Sports Nightly, probably going to hear from some up, upset fans tonight wondering where the direction of the program is and that that's where the frustration lies is because we we it's like we we drove our jeep right into the mud and we can't get it out you know it just seems like the program's stuck right now and and that's the frustrating part you've got signing day coming up on wednesday and you're not quite sure you know what the immediate focus is going to be in the off season with still everything happening but Saturday was really disappointing. I was really, really frustrated after the game. Jeremiah and I think both were on the fifth quarter show, kind of letting out a lot of frustration on on what we had just watched, uh, the lack of execution, how the offense just, you know. The, Greg, you think about it, the two biggest chances Nebraska's offense has had this year to really get going and really kind of form what they want to look like under Coach Frost was against Illinois and was against Minnesota, two of statistically one of the worst defenses in the conference, especially Minnesota. That was a defense that Nebraska should have run all over and they should have thrown all over and they should have had tons of success. Instead, you know, you finish with 17 points and that's really, really frustrating. Yeah, and Matt and I kept bringing that up in the second half of the broadcast. I mean, you're looking at a team that had been giving up 34 points a game in the Gophers, hadn't played in 22 days, and until Connor Colt makes the 30-yard field goal with 4.42 to go in the game, you'd scored 14. And there were missed opportunities. Adrian missed a couple of open receivers. The one he missed to Wandale didn't matter as much because Nebraska did go on and finish that drive with the touchdown. But you miss a field goal. You have a touchdown taken off the board in the fourth quarter because of a holding call. You miss Oliver Martin late in the first half on what, I don't know if he'd have scored, but you would have got points probably on that drive. He would have at least got it down in the field goal range for that. Uh, there, there were just a couple of, of baffling things that happened. And, hey, Minnesota's going to drain clock on you. You're not going to get as many possessions in a game like that as you do against teams who go more up-tempo. And, and they do that by design. And and I was on a show earlier today. One of our affiliates had me on today, Ben, and they said, you know, does the up-tempo offense, will it work in the Big Ten West? And, and, and the question kind of was, because Iowa doesn't use it, Wisconsin doesn't use it, Minnesota doesn't use it, and so those are teams 
that limit possessions. And so if you rely on a bunch of possessions game, you're not going to get that. And so it puts added importance on every time you get it that you better get points because you're not going to get the football as much. And and I said, I I don't know. I I said, Scott Frost has an offense that he's comfortable coaching, and I don't know that that's going to change. But it's a valid point because the teams you have to play year in and year out in your half of the conference – are going to shorten the game on you because of the way they play. I do understand the thought process behind that. I I get it. But I think a lot of this offense is predicated on, and this was talked about in the postgame, getting into a rhythm, right? I mean, you could – when Nebraska's offense is is working, you can get – like that one drive, that 13-play drive, there was no stopping Nebraska on that drive. They did whatever they wanted against Minnesota, and that's what it's supposed to look like every time. But, Greg, when you have a team like Minnesota who has struggled so badly on defense and you take the football to start a game knowing that Minnesota is going to try and drain clock, you have got to go down and get points. You have got to go down and score a touchdown on that first drive to put the pressure on that. I I think I said to you and Matt in a couple of commercial breaks, you've got to get ahead of this team because if you're ahead of them by – by two possessions, they can't do what they want to do. Tanner Morgan was not going to beat Nebraska with his arm on Saturday. And instead, you know, they were able to just pound Wiley, pound Ibrahim when he was in there, and and, and it was able to work because of how, the, the particularly early, the game went. You know, Nebraska right. was down 10 nothing at the end of the first quarter, and Minnesota said, fine, this is the game we want to play. You know, we, we can do this all day. I think I had the stat in the broadcast that, you know, when Nebraska was going – they had their two touchdown drives. I think they went 19 plays, 148 yards, and just lickety split down the field. So the opportunity was there to do that all day. And unfortunately, I don't know what happened. You know, obviously you missed the field goal in the third quarter. But had Nebraska went down and scored there at at, at the, you know, early in the second half, maybe that game's different. Maybe yeah. they, they they pick up that momentum and they keep scoring, but. Scoring 17 points against that defense when you're an offensive team just is not good enough. Yeah. You know, Nebraska had the, fir- the – they, they got the ball late in the first quarter. That drive ended up being a touchdown drive. Six-play, 75-yard drive. You're on the board 10-7. There's 13-12 to go in the half. You don't get the ball back until 7:57. So Minnesota drains five minutes off the clock before you get the ball back. They didn't score, but they took five minutes off the clock. Then Nebraska drives down again and scores. That was the drive you were talking about, the 13-play drive. But that took five minutes. So it took maybe a little longer than what Scott Frost would like. But now you have the lead. Then you punt to end the first half. That, that, that drive, that was the drive that Adrian missed Oliver Martin on the sideline. So, okay, so drive right before you have, you don't score. And then you have a really good drive to start the third quarter. So that's three out of four drives, really positive. But you missed the field goal. And remember how that drive ended, Ben. Nebraska got five on first down to take the ball to the 15, and then they, they kind of mess around on second and third down and have to settle for the field goal try, which they missed. Yeah, that, that was really disappointing and frustrating. You, you almost felt like Culp was going to miss that because he had made so many in a row, and the way that that drive ended, you're like, I just got a bad feeling about this. Right, yep. Um, and, and, and he missed it. And, you know, dead center of the field should have been an easy make, and it wasn't. And the other thing that, that happened after that, Greg, was Nebraska's defense gave Nebraska's offense a chance so many times. I mean, three or four times they were able to get a stop or hold, held them to no field goal, no, no points. 
and Nebraska's offense went three and out, pass, pass, yep. pass, punt. Yep. Another drive where they got one first down, punt. I think it was three straight drives where they moved the ball like 14 yards or something like that. So there, right. there's your defense getting three stops in a row, yep. and you can't put a drive together. Like I said before, it's just not good enough. You, and, and I think on those three drives that I'm talking about, I think Dedrick Mills maybe touched the ball one time. And it was a first down run in which he got five yards. So I think that's where a lot of people's frustrating, you know, frustration comes in. That defense was allowing seven yards per carry on the ground and 270 rushing yards per game. And Nebraska either didn't, didn't feel like the, the, uh, the matchup was there, the, that they couldn't execute it, or, or, or what the deal was, but – um, it was just that that part of the game I think was the most maddening is because your defense was standing up to the challenge and doing everything that they could to get you the ball back and you weren't making anything of your chances with the football. Yep, very very frustrating. You're exactly right. Three play drive, three play drive, five play drive, fifteen yards. That's where you lose the game. You couldn't get anything going on those three drives while your defense is kind of is pitching a shutout for most of that mm-hmm. second half, giving you the opportunity to go win the game, and they get, didn't get it done. Greg Sharp, Ben McLaughlin with you Monday night, following a disappointing Saturday for the Huskers. They drop a twenty four seventeen game to Minnesota. And now we're 2-5, and five, and we'll head to Piscataway, New Jersey, to take on the Rutgers Scarlet Knights, who went 3-5 and five under first-year coach Greg Schiano. Uh, Saturday, Friday afternoon football, so a chance for everybody to sneak out of work early and go listen to the Huskers play, 3 o'clock on Friday. All right, uh, I, I know there's been a lot of talk about how can practices be going so well, and then what happens on Saturdays happens on Saturdays. In fact, we've had some texts about it here tonight. The head coach was asked that very question today at his press gathering. What, why the gap between practices and performance? Uh, no, the improvement of practice this year led to better play. That We played better, executed better at Iowa, played better, executed better at Purdue. Um, may, maybe, Jake, the the way we started the game, uh, when, when we're not a team confident enough yet when we start the game, um, the way we started it, uh, you know, sometimes guys can maybe just look around and wait for somebody else to, to fix it or, or think here we go again, mistakes. Um, that being said, you know, after our uh, first quarter, we, we uh, end the first quarter, second, we turned it on and scored on two straight drives and executed well. Um, it's just one little thing here and one little thing there, and it's got to be more consistent. A lot of it Saturday was some of the young players. Uh, I called a lot of those guys last night. Uh, for young guys in the Big Ten, I think some of those guys are doing an exceptional job, uh, but it's just not consistent enough yet, and um, that's what killed this Saturday. Then the follow-up to that was, why, why has the offense struggled so much in the second half? It's very noticeable, the drop-off in production point-wise for this team through seven games in the first half of a game compared to the second half. Here's the head coach. I don't know the answer to that, really, Sam. We're, we're uh, diving into that, too. Um, you know, I don't remember that being an issue until this year. We, we've done actually pretty well on first drives the second half, and th- then things sputter. So, um, you know, I don't think it's a conditioning thing. I think our guys are in shape. I don't think it's a strength thing. Um, our focus has gotten better. Um, you know, we, I went back and watched the Northwestern game. We just made mistakes in the second half. You know, had the ball in their three and 
um, didn't execute right and threw an interception on two different drives down there. And I think it's kind of just a little more of the same, just being able to focus, concentrate, do your job, and execute for four quarters. Ben, the numbers are staggering. Through seven games, Nebraska has been outscored in the second half 106-39. to 39. I, I, I don't get it. Yeah, I mean, it's it, – I don't know either. I mean, and, and, and to me, that number is such a wide disparity, Greg. I don't think that you can point to just this thing or say, you know, it's that or it's this. I, th- I think there's a whole avalanche of things that are that are reasons why this is happening. You know, I think, um, you know, maybe maybe the, the adjustments that, that defenses are making are working. The execution of Nebraska isn't as good. Um, you know, I think it's probably four or five different factors that are all kind of pouring into how those numbers are working out. But you can't win very many games, especially close games, without scoring in the second half, specifically the fourth quarter. Um, it, you know, the only times you can win those types of games are exactly how Nebraska win the Penn State game or the Purdue game. Get up a whole bunch early mm-hmm. and then just try and hold them off. You're just not going to win very many games doing that. It's less than six points a game in the second mm. half for this team. It's just I think it's two remarkable. second half touchdowns, right? Two second yeah. half touchdowns all year. It's just it's just crazy. Thirty nine points in the second half of the seven games so far this year. You mentioned adjustments. That was asked of the coach. Are you not making adjustments, or is the other team making more? So that question got brought up. Here was his answer. Uh, there's something to that, absolutely. Um, you know, a lot of times some of the adjustments that we'd make at halftime, we probably already made in the first half if we're getting something different uh, in the game than what we expected. Uh, those things happen between series too. Um, like I said, I think we've done pretty well on first drives coming out of the break uh, with some of the adjustments we've made. Um, you know, that, all that being said, uh, you know, what, what a team's doing is usually what they do the whole game. Um, so, it, some of it is probably uh, adjustments, but uh, I think a lot of it's just, like I said, consistency and making sure we can play 60 minutes of guys getting their jobs done. So I want to hit on this point. I've talked with a lot of former players about this in the past, and, and Brendan and I have talk, talked about this ad nauseum, about that word adjustments, because I, I used it and, you know, I can't tell you how many phone calls over the years we or texts or tweets or whatever that we get about it. Again, you've, you've got to put this in perspective. And, and the best analogy that I give is it's like an exam, right? So you and I know today on Monday that we have a test on Saturday. And so we're going to spend all week preparing for what we think is going to be on the exam. Um, so we get there and, you know, we're, we're th- th- some things are different on that test than what you expected. And you get, you get a 10-minute break to stretch your legs, use the bathroom, whatever. And you can do what you want. You can go through your textbook. You can go through the notes. You can do whatever you want to do. But you only have – let's say five to seven minutes to adjust to what's on the test. There's not a whole lot you can do at halftime of a game to tell your team, okay, well, we're, they're doing this. So we're going to do that. We're going to implement a new game plan here. It it doesn't work that way. There, there's so much time and energy put into the game plan Monday through Friday and such a finite amount of time that you have at halftime to make adjustments. What Coach Frost said is is way more realistic, where you're tinker, tinkering with things on the headset in between drives, you're communicating, you're trying to make adjustments as you go. Yeah, you get a little bit of time at halftime to, to go over things, but, Greg, you think about it, halftimes are, what, 15 minutes long, if that? 
So you're, you're off the field. You, you know, do what you need to do. You break out in your position groups. You, you talk with your position guys. Then you get together as a, as a side of the ball, as an offense, as a defense, and you start going over some things. And, and then you're together as a team, and then you're back out on the field with seven minutes on the clock, five to seven minutes on the clock, loosening up. There's just not a ton of time. So it's not like you know, you're know you using that entire halftime period as a, as a chalk talk or watching film or going, okay, this guy's doing this. We thought he was going to do this. Let's start doing this more. Yeah, there's, of course, conversations going on, but I think you know we, we love that word adjustments, and we're expecting Nebraska to come out and do something completely different than what they were doing in the first half. It's just not realistic. They spent all week putting in a game plan. Most of the adjustments are built on the plan that they've already put in. Yeah, and he's right about, you go back the last three games, the first drive of the second half at Iowa City, a terrific drive that led to a touchdown and put Nebraska in front. The first half, the first drive of the second half at Purdue, a great drive to score, and you're like, this is it. They just put the nail in the coffin, but then they kind of let off the gas. This week, good drive. You missed the field goal at the end. You don't execute on second and third down at the 15-yard line after you have first and second and five, and then you miss the field goal. But it's just – it is bad. These numbers are just astronomically in the wrong side to win – to win football games. Maybe maybe it's a lack of playmakers. Maybe your playmakers take over the games in the second half and this team is still short on the, on the number of playmakers they throw out there. I, I mean, that's just a theory. That's one thing you could throw out there and maybe examine that, but it is it is really, really baffling. Alright, this will be the seventh straight week of playing football in the Big Ten. That's a pretty long stretch. Huskers had the one game and then the bye, now seven straight. Rutgers has not have an, had an off week. They, they've run all the way through. This will be their ninth game. They were one of couple of teams that did not miss a game because of somebody canceling or them having to cancel so the coach was asked about the grind of this Big Ten season and he kind of expounded on it about how it's been just a grind period for all of 2020. Uh, You know you can see the light at the end of the tunnel now usually that that happens in you know week eight or nine of a season Um, and we're close to the end now so the kids just need to have a final push and kick here. Uh, it's been a long year uh, in a lot of ways for everybody, not just here. Um, a lot of uncertainty. Um, you know, that I'm sure this is the case everywhere. The kids that I see really kind of uh, struggling to keep the same uh, health and uh, vitality are, are the young guys. And you usually have freshmen hit a, a wall at some point. Um, but... Uh, those guys went out to practice today and, and gave us everything they got, and we'll, we'll do everything we can to get them fresh and ready to go for this last one. All right, one more one I want to slip in here as well. A second time in in four weeks to have a short week. You had the short week for Iowa to get ready to play on a Friday. Now you have a short week, and you got to travel a long flight on Thursday to get back to the East Coast. He talked about trying to work in this quick prep to get ready for a Friday kick. Yeah, we found out about the short week uh, yesterday afternoon. So we brought the guys in for a quick meeting last night. Uh, practice this morning. We'll have uh, meetings again tonight. Um, try to sandwich it in as well as we can with travel. Um, I think all of us in the building are kind of used to taking things on the fly right now because everything's just been up in the air all year. Um, we're not worried about after this week, really. We'll we'll have time to figure all those things out after this game. We just got to get ready for this one. Ben, were you surprised that the game is a road game and not here in Lincoln after <laughs> Nebraska lost a home game? No, no. But, you know, to be honest with you, I wouldn't have been surprised about anything. Opponent, 
day, time, location. I mean, part of it, Greg, is because we we have been given absolutely zero indication on what this week was going to look like. So I guess I walked into it with with extremely uh, open mind and and zero expectations of what this if, of what this was going to look like. And, uh, you know, I think all the rumors that, that I started hearing coming out about it last week happened. Um, and to be honest with you, I'm kind of glad there's just there's just a game because there was a lot of talk there for a while that this idea was just going to be banged and we'd just be watching Ohio State Northwestern play on Saturday, and that was it. And I think the team's glad that they're playing. I mean, the, the guys that they brought up today all acted like, yeah, heck yeah, we want to we want to put the pads on one more time and go out and try to finish – 2020 with a win. So I don't. I think there'll be some good effort by this team. I don't think they're going to go back there and lay down. I was told middle of last week that a number one on the considerations where these games would be held was if you lost a home game. Well, we did. Rutgers didn't. Yeah. And yet here we go. <laughs> maybe maybe we're just having to pay for acting up. Yeah. In over the last six months. It's funny too. Like we 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 were told this was going to be one plays one, two plays two, three plays three. Uh-huh. Somebody made a chart of like <laughs> next to each other, and there's arrows all over the place of who yeah. plays who. And so we had to finish this season off in the most Big Ten way possible, right? So let's let's go ahead let's go ahead and do it. <laughs> Mondays football season. It's time for Matt. Time now for the weekly breakdown. What a memorable first game at home in the Big Ten Conference. With color analyst and former national champion. All the games played for this historic program. All the great rushing days that we've seen over the years and way beyond my lifetime. And we've seen the best one here today against the top ten team. It's Mondays with Matt Davison on Sports Nightly. Well, disappointing Saturday, uh, senior day, and, and the outcome that we got. What are, you, what are your thoughts as you reflect back on the Gopher game? Well, it was a frustrating game. I think that's probably the first game, the first thing that would come to my mind. It was, you know, a game that defensively I think we played well enough to win for sure. Um, they were given good field position quite a few times throughout the day, and. Um, and the defense stepped up and, and really did a good job overall. They were very physical. They got hit on a couple of run plays where we didn't get lined up right. But other than that, they were they were really solid. And then offensively, it just wasn't good enough. It wasn't a good enough day. You know, barely over 300 yards of offense. Um, and bad play to start the game. And then, uh, you know, a couple bad breaks along the way. The targeting call uh, was a big one that, that helped Minnesota get a touchdown instead of a field goal which really changed the momentum at the end of the half. Uh, the holding call on Ethan Piper, which I've looked at now, I think 25 times from every angle, um, you know, was a big play too. Um, Would have cut it to three with a few minutes to go in the game. So, you know, probably shouldn't have been in that situation anyway. Missed the chip shot field goal, um, missed some open receivers. So just, uh, you know, need to be better offensively for sure. Move the ball, score more points. And Saturday wasn't good enough, and and so Minnesota was able to come in here and get a win. Matt, do you think it would be wise for college football to rethink the targeting rule from the standpoint, and you used to do basketball with Kent, 
where in college basketball there's a flagrant one and a flagrant two. Is that something maybe that could be implemented in college football as it relates to the targeting that if it's malicious, it's a flagrant two and you're out of the game. If it's not malicious, but just kind of the way the play ends, maybe it's a penalty but not an ejection. Do you think that would be wise for college football to do that? I do, and you know, you'd still have some human error in that on you know what what is a, a flagrant or not, or however you want to term it. Uh, so you'd still have guys making a decision on whether it was a flagrant one or two or whatever, targeting one or two. But I definitely think they need to revisit it. I'm not even sure what targeting is anymore. Um, you know, offensive players, you know, when they're bracing for contact, they put their heads down all the time. And you don't see it called on a running back or a wide receiver after they're, you know, carrying the football, running into defensive players. And it's just hard. The game is really fast. The athletes are so fast and strong. Things happen quickly. It's really difficult to hit with, you know, everybody says hit with your shoulder. Yeah, that makes sense. But guess what's on top of your shoulders? It's your helmet. And that, that your head usually goes where you're putting your shoulder. And if the offensive player moves just enough, um, you can hit him helmet to helmet. And, and definitely not even intend to do that. I think defensive players overall have adjusted to the targeting rule and have, have tried to do a better job. But sometimes you can get really unlucky and hit helmet to helmet and, and it's just such a, a big penalty, you know? And, and to take a kid out of a game or maybe part of the next game, I think is, is a lot. So yeah, I do think they should revisit it. And it's not just because of this call on cam. I mean, you see it all over college football all the time, every weekend. And so I think, uh, you know, it's something they should look at. Okay, a week nine game. Um, this is an interesting concept that the Big Ten put together. You didn't find out till yesterday who Nebraska would be playing. Your thoughts about traveling to Rutgers now to play the Scarlet Knights? Yeah, it's definitely different. You find out Sunday afternoon that you're leaving on Thursday afternoon. And so, um, look, it's it's another opportunity for us to go out and, and try to play well and, and get a win and get some momentum heading in, into the off season. Uh, we'll see what happens after this game. But, but um, you know, Rutgers has played really good football this year. They're a very veteran team on defense. They have, uh, I think, a really good defensive line. Uh, I think there's 15 or 16 starters in, or seniors in their, t in their two deep on defense. And so it's going to be a big challenge for the offense. And, and then uh, defensively, we have to do a good job against them. I mean, they've hit some big shots this year. They've, they've uh, done a good job. Noah has played well for them when he's been in the game. And so, you know, this is uh, another opportunity, as I said, to get better and get young guys more reps. I mean, there's nothing like game reps and seeing the bullets fly and being in the action. And we're getting more young guys playing all the time and, and they're getting better. So uh, another opportunity for the program to improve and, and um, try to close out the season in a positive way. This is going to be a real crazy week around the offices, I'm sure. I mean, the shortened week for the game on Friday, travel on Thursday, and a recruiting day mixed in there. Signing mm -hmm. day is on Wednesday. H how is that all going to work, and how do you feel about the class that looks like it's going to come to, come to sign with Nebraska in two days? Well, um, we're, we're pretty excited about the, the kids that we think are going to sign here. and. It's been a different year of recruiting, obviously. You can't have kids on campus and visits and camps and all of those things that, that you typically do. And 
Uh, it's been a good year for us in the, the clo closer to Lincoln and the, the region has put out a lot of really good players. And so um, it's, it's going to be a busy week for our coaches, obviously. They have to continue to close out this class and still work on next year's class and get ready for Rutgers. And so usually you're done playing by now and you're just recruiting. But um, we have a game this week, so it's a busy week around here. But, you know, this is all fun stuff. It's football and, and a lot of people's lives have, have been uh, influenced in a bad way in 2020. So, you know, we're not complaining. This is fun stuff. Go, go recruit and, and try to win a football game and uh, get ready for Christmas here in a week or so. So uh, definitely a strange year, but, but uh, we're still having fun with it. Matt, I'm imagining a lot of these guys that are going to sign this week maybe even haven't been to Lincoln before. Would that be the case? Yeah, that's the case. And, you, you know, it's... Um, it's not a, a place where, you know, kids are going to drive a thousand miles, you know, maybe to come onto campus. Even if they did, we, we couldn't see them. And so, uh, you know, it, it's different for every school across the country. And a year like this, it's probably more challenging for more remote places like Lincoln, where there aren't as many good players, um, Division One type talent within, you know, a couple hundred miles where you get into the more populated areas and kids can drive down there or whatever themselves and walk around campus. and see the the stadium and all of those things see the city so yeah i think our coaches did a good job with with the recruiting stuff the virtual tours and and videos and try to you know get kids to feel comfortable with what they're going to walk into when they get here and and so i think the coaches worked hard i think we put together a really good class and it's going to add to the talent we have in this building already which i think is good so um, yeah, it's an exciting week for us, for sure. Hopefully we sign a great class and try to get a win on Friday. Sounds good. All right, busy week. Uh, good luck on Wednesday. We'll see you in the booth on Friday. All right, buddy. Thank you. Monday Night Sports Island here on the Husker Sports Network. And as we do each and every Monday during the college football season, a chance to check in with Adam Rittenberg of ESPN.com. How long has it been since you've thrown a shoe, Adam? <laughs> wow, uh, I cannot remember uh, my last th shoe-throwing experience, but I had a lot of fun on Twitter after that, and uh, unfortunately at Marco Wilson's expense, because that is uh, that's a new one. I had not, I had not seen that as a, uh, a drive-extending penalty that essentially led to the loss, so that was, that was quite something. Crazy that, and you know, it it points out a couple of things. One, not the shoe throwing, but the the fact that they got beat. That every time you step on the field in one of these power conferences, you put yourself at risk. And I think that's being spun around the SEC land. Is that you know what we're we're playing nine ten games. Some of these other leagues aren't. We need to take that into consideration when you sit down and put this playoff together. How how much validity is there in that argument that's been spun out there the last forty eight hours? Well, I, I think it's an argument that you need to make if you're Greg Sankey, certainly. I don't really understand the ACC folks because it's pretty obvious what has to happen there. Either Clemson wins and they're in, uh, or they lose and both of the teams are in. I, I just don't see a real way that Notre Dame gets left out, honestly, with yeah. their resume, uh, which was strengthened over this weekend with North Carolina just embarrassing Miami. Um, you know, Those are the two signature wins other than Notre Dame's win over Clemson. Notre Dame beat North Carolina. Clemson beat Miami. And Notre Dame's win over Carolina looks a heck of a lot better than Clemson's over Miami at this point. So I don't really get it from the ACC. I get it from the SEC to a degree. But, you know, here's where I look at it, Greg. Okay, let, let, let's pretend like Ohio State, they're 5-0 you know, yeah, and right now. And 
and, and, and they play another five games. You're telling me they're going to lose more than one, even if it's to a bad team, and you're telling me they're, they're still not going to get in the Big Ten championship? I mean, come on. You, 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 you can game that out, and it's still going to look like a, a nine or ten win Ohio State team playing for a conference title. A&M, they just unfortunately lost the wrong game. What, what can you say? They lost by a lot to the wrong team. That happens in the playoff. And so, um, you know, I think they could still get in if, if things go right, but, but probably not ahead of a Big Ten champion, Ohio State. I, I was thoroughly entertained Saturday night, not only by the Florida LSU game and with the fog and all that. It was just great drama. And, and you, UCLA-USC was a heck of a finish to that game. What about the Trojans? Did they have any chance of sneaking in this thing here later, or is, is it just the path too, too uh, fraught with potholes? Well, the problem for USC, uh, just other than the limited number of games, kind of like Ohio State, is that they haven't been definitive in victory. That was a great game. And, and, and man, yeah. I just love that scene when those two teams wear their home jerseys, just the, the color scheme on TV. It's awesome. Uh, but, but USC is a very talented team, but that's nothing new. The problem is is that three of their five wins were, were total escape jobs. I mean, Arizona yeah. State, they looked like they were beat. Arizona had them on the ropes, a terrible Arizona team. And then UCLA looked like they had them on the ropes until a great, dry, a great couple passes at the end from Keaton Slovis and his receivers. And so, you know, if USC was dominating everybody uh, and they have a chance to dominate, it's now Oregon, it was Washington, now Oregon in the Pac-12 title game, then maybe you make the argument. But I, I just don't think you can. I think there's too many teams ahead of USC to really make that case. Now, if things get crazy on Saturday, which would you know, probably require – um, you know, Notre Dame to beat Clemson again, and, and, and who knows if Northwestern beats Ohio State or Cincinnati loses to Tulsa, then maybe it gets interesting. But uh, I just don't think USC has been impressive enough in its victories to merit real consideration for the playoff. Oh, very fair, very fair, and I totally agree with you on the uniforms. And don't forget Sean Snyder, special teams coach for USC. That kickoff right. return was huge for the Trojans. Okay, um, big big day at Northwestern, right? I mean, the AD leaves, going to be the commission at the ACC. Just saw Mike Hankwitz, their longtime defensive coordinator, is going to retire. Uh, are these distractions for Fitz to deal with this week as they get ready to play the Buckeyes, or is this just another week for, for Northwestern? Well, I think with the Hankwitz uh, thing, it was it was very much expected. You know, I think Mike was, you know, Mike is uh, 73 years old. He doesn't look it, doesn't act like it. But, you know, he, he, I think they kind of had to twist his arm a little bit to come back for one more year. He's so good at what he does. And he's had such a great year. And I think he'll be a finalist for the Broyles Award given to the nation's top assistant coach. Uh, this would, if they win the game Saturday, if they win their bowl game, That'll be his 400th win in college as a uh, mostly assistant coach. He's, he's had some interim head coaching uh, uh, situations that have come along. But um, this was sort of known, I think, to be the last year for Hank. Um, and so that's not a surprise. And in, in a sense, Phillips is not a surprise just because everybody expected him to be the next Big Ten commissioner. And so they were sort of preparing for him to leave uh, last year. The Big Ten obviously went a different direction. And so this opportunity has now come up. But um, I, I don't sense it's going to distract them. I guess, I guess you never know. If anything, I think the Hankwitz thing might be more of a, a rallying uh, point for Northwestern's defense, which is a very good defense, uh, to try to win a, a meaningful game. Hankwitz is a Michigan guy. Uh, I can tell you he doesn't have uh, much fondness for the Buckeyes of Ohio State. And this would be uh, one heck of a win for him, number 400, if they're able to pull off what, what would be a massive upset in the championship. 
Yeah, no doubt. That's the 11 a.m. game on Saturday. Okay, uh, pandemic year. Some people thought maybe people would back off making coaching moves. That doesn't appear to be the case. Some big ones opened up this weekend. Let's start with Illinois and Lovey Smith. Surprised at all that they that they make that move after year five? I'm not, and you know, I, I think I think you just kind of heard it sort of trending in that direction the last few weeks. Maybe a retirement. But certainly, just the way they performed in the in the finale against Northwestern, it just doesn't look like a program that's making progress. And that was what Athletic Director Josh Whitman you know, kind of talked about. Um, very respectful of Lovey Smith. It was a bold hire by Whitman to bring in Lovey back uh, in in 2016. But it's just hard to look at Illinois and say, "Wow, they're they're just on the cusp of of turning it around." And so, um, so they're back in the market for a coach and. You know, it's a funny job because a lot of people, I think, over the years have tried to, to, to convince themselves that this is a good job, and the history just doesn't say it is. Uh, but I think there are some good candidates, and I think it is a better program now than it was a few years ago because of the investment, the fact that Josh Whitman's a former player at Illinois. He wants to be good in football. Uh, he's just got to hire the right coach, and I think there's some good options out there who have some ties to the state and to the region. Buffalo's Lance Leipold, you know, Kent State's Sean Lewis. Army's Jeff Munkin, former Wisconsin coach Brett Bielema, who's now in the NFL. I think all those guys would be really interesting for Illinois. Jay Norvell, who's at Nevada, is a Wisconsin native who played at Iowa. And, you know, so I, I think I think there's some guys who, who who could do well in this part of the country. Jim Leonard, the Wisconsin defensive coordinator, and recruit and be more of a factor in the recruiting area in in the Chicago and, and, and throughout the state of Illinois. Yeah, he's kind of built that roster on a lot of transfers. And, and hey, I, I get it. The transfer portal certainly become a big, big thing in college football now, but I don't know if that's long-lasting and sustaining the way Lovey was kind of piecing that together. All right, let's go to Auburn. Gus Malzahn, one, surprise or not, two, isn't Malzahn a pretty attractive candidate for some people around the country? Right. Well, it felt like Gus was on the hot seat you know, pretty much since 2015 and, and found a way to survive and got a great new contract after the 2017 season. Uh, but it, it looked like it was going to be too too much money. And I guess it just shows that even in the pandemic, you know, Auburn's going to be Auburn and they're going to do things that they want uh, to do to, to try to make their program better. And so I, I think that, you know, it's it kind of run its course. And, you know, our, my colleague Alex Scarborough had a great piece up on ESPN.com today discussing how the offense was Gus's calling card, and it just wasn't working anymore at the level that it was. You know, he was a coordinator when they won a national title with Cam Newton, and certainly when he made a national title game back in 2013 with Nick Marshall at quarterback, that was not what it looked like anymore. So um, it, it's obviously a very interesting job because you can compete with Alabama. They have shown they can win there. They've shown they can win the SEC West a couple of times. Um, it's a very volatile place, though. I mean, coaches need to realize that if you take that job, you're probably getting fired. Almost every Auburn coach gets fired. But you have resources. Uh, I think they're going to increase resources. It'll be interesting to see which direction they go, uh, Greg. You know, Hugh Freeze's name is out there. Uh, if they can you know, get him back in the SEC potentially. Lane Kiffin, I think, has some real interest in the job, which would be wild as the former yeah. Alabama offensive coordinator. I think the current Alabama offensive coordinator, Steve Sarkeesian, is interest, uh, an interesting name. Mario Cristobal of Oregon appears to be staying put, but he's somebody who, I, who I'd heard was maybe of interest to Auburn. And then the candidate internally who really has some support, which is interesting, is Kevin Steele. You know, I know someone you, you know from sure. Nebraska. Yeah. And he's kind of, Kevin has sort of been everywhere in college football. Uh, he was at Florida State. He's been at Alabama. He was the head coach at Baylor. It did not go well. Uh, but he has been you know, Clemson. I mean, really every big-time program 
he's been there. And so I think he's a guy who's going to merit some consideration and has done a really nice job as a defensive coordinator for Auburn. All right, Gus, hireable again, right? Somebody snaps him up, don't they? I think they do. I don't know if it's going to be in this cycle. I think it just depends on which jobs open. I think Gus would be a a really good coach at certain SEC programs. You know, I know Arkansas just made a hire last year, but I would imagine if if Arkansas comes open again soon and uh, and Gus is available, that would be a natural fit. Uh, I also think in the Big 12, you know, you think Mm -hmm. about the Big 12 next year, what could open. You know, Texas Tech is certainly on the hot seat. Um, you know, uh, you know, if Matt Campbell leaves Iowa State, maybe they maybe they do the reverse Gene Chizik and get the Auburn coach to come to Iowa State, <laughs> or, or or you know, Texas, you know, one, one, another job in Texas. It's just hard to predict, but I think you know his offense would certainly work well in the Big Twelve. You know, maybe the ACC. I don't really see Gus as a Big Ten coach, but but maybe yeah. at the right place. So it, it'll be very interesting. Yeah, he certainly has had a pretty decorated career. So I just don't think that he's done. I mean, I, I think he's got life left in him okay championship saturday which which games have have the, the biggest interest in your eyes well i think the two that have the biggest impact on the playoff uh are are uh, the acc and the sec games right because you know and i really think you know in the acc game um that even if notre dame loses uh, they're going to get in the playoff uh, they their resume is just too strong um, and, uh, you know, I think if, they, if they're left out, it, it's almost punitive from the committee to really base, base it on that one second, that second game with the team they've already beaten. So I think that's interesting because if Clemson wins, they're going to be in as well. And then in the SEC, could Alabama you know, hold off Florida? If Florida lost a, a tough one against a, not a very good LSU team, but they are excellent on offense, and they're the type of team – they can score with Alabama, you know, potentially for a half, for three quarters. You know, can they do it for a whole game? We'll find out. So I think those two are interesting. And then, and then, you know, I mean, really all of them. The Ohio State, we just haven't seen that much of them. You know, they're in the Big Ten game. And then Iowa State is right there at seven. If they beat Oklahoma for a second time, maybe they have a case. So I think what's fun about this year, Greg, is that other than the Pac-12, uh, all the Power Five games have some real playoff intrigue. And I'd even throw in the American game with Cincinnati yeah. at number eight and Tulsa at number fourteen. Cincinnati's undefeated. You know, maybe maybe they can squeak their way into that conversation if things go crazy above them in the rankings. All right, very good. Can't wait for it. Should be a fun weekend. Then you throw in all the the Big Ten games that have been added, and same thing in the Pac-12. It should be a a fun, full couple days of college football. Adam, as always, we appreciate it. We'll look forward to talking to you next week and wrapping wrapping it all up and see who who goes where. All right, sounds good, Greg. Have a great week. Stay safe. Thanks. All right, good show tonight. Thanks, everybody, for being a part of this one. Thanks to Ben, to Tim, to Mick for jumping in there at the last second as well here tonight. Appreciate everybody's input on this show. A lot of good content in here over the last couple of hours. We'll do it again tomorrow. Again, Bill Moose, Hour 1, Sports Island tomorrow night, his monthly show. A lot to talk about with the Husker Athletic Director. Have a great night. Good night.